0: This morning we're going to uh, consider something very basic about Christianity and that is we're going to look at sin and how we get rid of it, how we get healed from it. It might sound strange except very often we'll go week after week here worshiping God, praising Him for other things and forgetting a very basic thing and that the church is basically a hospital for sinners. It's not a house of saints. We have a disease. Every one of us are afflicted with it. Jesus died to heal us. But I think every once in a while we need to have a refresher course so we understand the table and we understand just the continued spiritual journey we're called to take to become like Jesus Christ. There can be no progress spiritually in our lives without what Jeremiah is talking about today, and that's going to be under the word repentance. Repentance is a word that uh, is kind of absent in the Christian vocabulary today, and yet it's very, very vital as far as our relationship with God. If you remember when Jesus started his ministry, These were his words, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Today, we confess that we're a people broken, sometimes made sick and in need of divine mercy, all because of this disease called sin. And so I want us to listen to Jeremiah, even though he's a tough prophet and he hits us between the eyes, let's let him speak to us about repentance as we do what the New Testament calls us to do and that is to prepare for communion. And that's what we're gonna do for a few minutes. First, the prophet describes how Israel had lost all sense of the seriousness of sin. They didn't even know how to repent. Jeremiah said, as a well keeps its waters fresh, beautiful metaphor, so she, Israel, keeps fresh her wickedness. Behold, the word of God is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They didn't even know how to blush. Now obviously, we see people every day in our society rushing into a very similar abyss into which Israel was going, mocking God's laws. We're a society that certainly has forgotten how to blush. (laughs) Anything can happen on talk shows, on television, in the movies. We don't get embarrassed anymore. Contrast that with 30 years ago. We've lost our ability to blush. We've lost our sense of the seriousness of sin. But what's vital in the text today is these words are not addressed to society. It's taken for granted. They don't have room for God. This text is addressed to God's people, us, Christians. And it's a call to personal holiness, a call to live straight in a crooked world, and and that's a lifestyle achieved only through repentance. Now to repent means, we desire to be all that God calls us to be. We desire to leave sin and pursue righteousness. And we demonstrate that desire by having a sorrow over having sinned, and then we turn around directions and we go in a new direction of obedience to God. In chapter seven, Jeremiah describes how God's people came to worship loaded with sin. And it was interesting, this is what was happening they came complaining about the consequences of their disobedience which were causing them pain. They weren't sorry for their sin. They were sorry that their sin was causing them trouble. So they came to worship saying, God, hey, could you help us out? We're having a lot of problems here because we're disobeying your law. So we want you to heal us so that we can be happy disobeying your law and still coming and worshiping you. We want the best of both worlds. They didn't get it that God and sin don't mix. Well, this was uh, what God's response was. Reform your ways and your actions. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we're safe. In other words, we're okay. It doesn't matter that we sin. God's not going to punish us. He's not going to put consequences on our disobedience. He loves us. We're safe. And that was a myth. You see, the people had strayed so far from God, they dared to come and worship, asking God to bless them and their disobedient lifestyles. Again, keep in mind, the prophet is speaking to God's people, not to the secular world. And that leads us to really the issue of the day. How long has it been since you've come to worship and been pierced to your heart with a sense that you've disobeyed God? That your behavior has hurt him. And that that's led you almost to tears, at least to sorrow. That somehow you know so much and you've done so little with it. Have you ever sat in church? I know I have, wondering, what in the world am I doing here? How is it possible? Last week I made all those promises. I was never going to sin again. I went and I just got uh, tackled by sin. I've disappointed God again. I don't deserve to be here. How can he go on loving me? How can he go on forgiving me? If I know Jesus died for sin, how can I keep doing it? There ought to be occasionally a time in worship where if we love Jesus and realize what it cost him to die for us, that we ought to be pricked to our heart, broken over sin. Without that sense of sin, without repentance, Sin will eat at our soul like a cancer. And I think this is really part of the disease in the church today. I I think we've lost the consciousness of sin. Some time ago, uh, we were awakened in the middle of the night by a giant crack. And I looked down the street and this great big oak tree had fallen. Just all of a sudden, it just fell. It it was over 200 years old uh, by counting the rings when they looked inside the trunk. And you know, on the outside, it looked absolutely healthy. Nothing was wrong with it. But inside, through the years, a disease had eaten out its inner core until the trunk was just a a shell. And then just one day it fell. I thought, here's a metaphor of why God calls us to repentance. Deterioration in our souls is seldom obvious. Character doesn't just suddenly snap. No tree just suddenly falls for no reason. No professional suddenly compromises. No business becomes suddenly mediocre. Slowly, subtly, things are tolerated in our lives which were once rejected. And at the outside, at the offset, things seem harmless, even exciting. But these these things, these sins form a moral wedge between ourselves and God. And over a period of time, it gets wider and wider. And if we don't come to worship and get washed off and repent of these things, they eat on us and we become hollow inside and our soul kind of dies. You remember Christmas Eve, I told you about that house up in San Francisco last month that was uh, a beautiful home, just been redecorated. On the outside, it was gorgeous, but the storm hit and the owners didn't know it had been built on the sand next to a storm drain and it just fell. And I guess the danger that God's trying to warn us about is the people of God, we we look pretty good today, but inside, how are you? And, And what there needs to be excised, repented of, and allowed God to wash and forgive and take away. That's the first point of this message. To allow sin in our lives without feeling a need for repentance and seeking God to remove it is to put ourselves in peril. Now that isn't the church heaping guilt on you, that's just a fact from Jeremiah that's a fact of life and we know it. And that leads us to a second truth. Ignoring sin has huge consequences. You've heard me quote Cal Thomas columnist for the LA Times. He discusses quite consistently how we as a uh, nation have lost the family we failed to deal with poverty. We've reaped the whirlwind of breaking God's sexual laws. We've polluted our educational system. We've attacked authority at every level. And he makes this quote, the escape from religion and the triumph of secularism have left many Americans isolated, confused, and alone. Now, I believe our culture is discovering through painful consequences, the truth of this warning from scripture, be not deceived, God is not mocked, what a man or woman sows, we're gonna also reap. Now remember, that's true of the world out there, but this text is not addressed to the world, it's addressed to us, and the same is true. Don't be deceived, God isn't mocked. What we sow, we're going to reap, and the consequences have both present and eternal implications. I believe it's absolutely vital we allow our Lord to continually convict and purify our lives and it's appropriate for certain worship services to come here and kind of be solemn, look inside and say, Lord, I love you. This is the track I'm on. This is where I'm failing. And I want you to get me back on track with you. I'm sorry. I want you to wash me because I know right now I'm paying consequences for my disobedience and I know I'll pay in eternity when my heart's broken and I've re-crucified Jesus because of my willfulness. I want to get right with you. I want to give you a challenge. This sermon has greatly convicted me. I want to challenge us with a question. Are you ready to let Jesus start a new refining purifying process in your life. We say these are new steps on our spiritual journey. That's been our pulpit theme all year. Have you taken any new steps? Would you like to? Would you like to come to a new stage of obedience and holiness as we live in a very crooked world? There's a way to do it. Malachi has a great verse in which he describes the role of what I believe as he looked forward to Jesus coming would be the role of Jesus. He said, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Now, I'm gonna date myself, but I have an experience of knowing exactly what he was referring to. I used to work for a newspaper, and this was in the days of linotypes. They don't have those anymore, but linotypes were how they used to set up all these lead forms for the page, then they'd make a mat, and then they would print from that instead of the electronic printing. And a linotype used lead. And my job was to take the lead after it was used, put it in a cauldron, and remelt it, take the impurities out of it, Pour it into pigs so it could be recycled or reused. I would know that the lead was ready to be re poured when after it was heated and melted, I'd skim off all the impurities. And there, you could literally, if it was clean, you could see your face in the lead. So I would heat it, skim it, and wait till I could see my face. When I could, I'd pour it into the molds and it would be ready for reuse. And that's exactly what Malachi is talking about the role of Jesus in our lives when it comes to melting silver and gold. You would melt it, get out the impurities, and the refiner would look for his face. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in your life and mine. Not all at once, but over a journey, as you come to worship, as we get convicted by the word of God, we should be growing into the likeness of Jesus. We should be growing in our holiness, in our obedience, until one day, When Jesus looks at us, he'll see himself. In fact, scripture says, when we stand before him, one day we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Your task, my task as a Christian, is to be growing until we react, respond, live like Jesus. I think that's exciting. That's what this text is talking about, the refining process. Judah's problem is that they had wandered so far from God they didn't even understand what he was talking about. They had forgotten any concept of being holy or obedient or pure. They didn't understand that God and sin don't mix. And maybe that's one of the national diseases of the church today. Maybe that's why we Christians are having so little impact on society. We still don't realize how it hurts God's heart when we as believers call good what he calls evil. And the church is doing that wholesale today. We're redefining sin until there is no concept of it. I trust the Holy Spirit's gonna give us a hunger inside to be purified, to be refined. Because it hurts God when our Christianity is all talk and it's divorced from our behavior. Jeremiah puts it this way. This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. And that leads us to a final truth in our text. You know, this has been kind of heavy and the gospel never really leaves us heavy, if we understand it. The third truth in this text is that God is always merciful. And and, and his whole purpose of convicting us and talking about sin is to heal us of a disease that's gonna kill us. He wants to heal, he wants to forgive, and he wants to remove the consequences of our sin. If we repent, listen to this beautiful text. Return, faithless Israel, for I am merciful. I'll not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Acknowledge that you've rebelled against the Lord your God. I am so delighted that I can share with you, not just the bad news of your sin and mine, but the good news that God is merciful. Remember the words of the psalmist? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Thank God. Mercy means relief. Assurance that in spite of our sin, everything can still be okay between ourselves and God. Even after we've betrayed the Lord completely, totally, hundreds of times, God is always standing with his arms open, ready to receive us back like he received the prodigal. You know, I, I think we're going to spend large blocks of time in eternity just marveling at the height and depth of God's love. And our, our, our appreciation of God's love grows almost proportionately to our concept of personal sin and how he puts up with us and how he forgives us. Communion reminds us of the wonderful truth that once we confess and repent of sin, God forgives us he blots out our sin he takes it away as far as the East is from the West he buries it in the sea it's gone so today if you sit in church and perhaps these demons from the past come and haunt you and you don't feel like you're worthy you you can't fix what you've done you you can't undo what you've done and you feel lousy those are your feelings they're not God's because if you have repented of your sin and you've been forgiven he doesn't even know what you're talking about when you're worrying about that past sin it's gone forever The devil loves to bring up the past. He loves to make us feel unworthy. The good news is Jesus died, so we're not unworthy. We're as righteous as he is if we'll claim the gift. However, the other side of God's mercy is the fact that his judgment will occur against willful sin. There's an awesome verse in the book of Numbers. Be sure your sin will find you out. Rattling skeletons don't stay in closets. Lies don't remain private. It's only a matter of time. Sin eats like a cancer, and if there's any purpose in this message today, it's to let God come and clean up our souls so we don't get like oak tree, hollow inside, even while we're looking good on the outside, and then we have a sudden crash. The answer? Repentance. Come clean with God. And then we can leave worship today brand new, free, men and women. How do you do it? A simple prayer telling God we've sinned, we want to turn from it, and we want His forgiveness. I'm going to add a few more. I believe then we join a small group where we can hold each other accountable for the changes we want to make. You can't live the Christian holy life alone. You might attach yourselves to a prayer ministry and seek continually, as I do, the power of God once we've made a commitment to bring purity to our lives and to our church families and perhaps share with one person an area where you're in bondage and you want to change and you can't make it without God's help and their help. Susanna Peter and her four-year-old daughter were trapped beneath tons of concrete and steel after the earthquake in Soviet Armenia in 1988, December. She was on her back in absolute darkness for eight days with no water and one jar of jam. Mommy, I'm thirsty, was the cry of her daughter. At one point she remembered a television program about an explorer in the Arctic dying of thirst and his comrade had slashed his hand and gave him, his, his friend his blood to drink and it saved his life. And then she wrote, I had no water, no fruit juice, no liquids, it was then I remembered I had my own blood. And she found a piece of glass and she sliced open her finger and gave it to her daughter to suck. Then she did it to another finger and another finger, and it saved her daughter's life. That's a true story. Max Lucado gives this vivid description. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus explained. And beneath the rubble of a fallen world, and the wreckage of collapsed humanity, he ripped open his side, his children were trapped, so he gave his blood. And Jesus asked, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. Admission of thirst doesn't come easy for us false fountains satisfy our cravings But there comes a time when pleasures don't satisfy there comes a dark hour when the world caves in and we cry out God I need your help And so let the thirsty come a ragged lot We are bound together by broken dreams Collapsed promises wide-eyed children trapped in the basement of our own failures Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It doesn't mean they have it yet. It means they want it. Mommy, I'm so thirsty. It was then that the hand was cut and the blood was poured and the child was saved. And maybe we can say to God this morning, I'm so thirsty for righteousness. And Jesus says, this is my blood shed for the remission of your sins and my hand was pierced for you and my blood was poured for you and the children were saved. Praise God we can say this morning there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think it would be appropriate for us just before we go to the table to take a moment of inner reflection and allow what the Holy Spirit has said to us to kind of scour around in our closets and lives and God already knows everything that you need to confess but would you? could we together as a congregation take a new step toward holiness and righteousness today? Let's bow in silent prayer. Lord, today we're so grateful that you love us and have more of a desire to save us than punish us. We're grateful by your providence you brought us to church today. We pray that if there's anybody heading for a wall that you by your spirit will guide us to do a U-turn before we crash. And I pray now you'll use these elements of bread and wine to remind us of the great price that was paid so we could be forgiven and be given freedom. Use them to that end we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Paul the Apostle said, I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, how the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, eat it in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, drink ye all of it. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he come. And I trust today that we'll take this communion with ever increasing insight of what it meant when we said Jesus died for our sins. Would you hold the bread as we distribute it and we'll eat it together as the family of Jesus Christ.